Merch alert! You asked and we delivered. The Royals of Malibu now has merch. We've got so much to choose from, like Team Easton or Team Reed or Team Isaac hoodies and hats. Some fun items like Do Not Dim My Sparkle t-shirts or Ugly Hot hoodies. Plus, plenty of accessories too, like our Trom mugs, AirPod cases, tote bags, stickers, and more. We'll be sharing new drops, sales, and much more on our socials at the Royals of Malibu, so be sure to follow along. That's at the Royals of Malibu. Check out the merch website at emeraldaudio.myshopify.com. That's emeraldaudio.myshopify.com. Emerald Audio is now an imprint of Diversion Audio, focusing on female-led storytelling. Diversion Audio. Welcome to the Royals of Malibu cast interview part two. I'm Emma Demuth and I work behind the scenes on the story development of the show. Sit back, grab a Treasure Cafe pistachio latte or a Callum certified green juice and get ready because today we're going to be discussing some royalty. Today we have the self-described ugly hot resident bad boy that we all love, Easton Royal, voiced by Nick Cafaro. Hello. The brooding but beautiful Reed Royal, voiced by Chris Cafaro. Hey. And last but certainly not least, our girl boss hero, Alice Sinclair, voiced by the one and only Alyssa McKay. Hi. Today we're going to answer some more questions from you, the fans, and play some more royal games. All right, let's start by discussing that jaw-dropping season finale. What are your guys' theory for why Brooke and Reed were in bed together? Chris, since you play Reed, I'll start with you. <laughs> well, I, I have my theories. I mean, I think anyone who's read the book and listened to the podcast will know that it's, you know, it's not completely uh, true to the book. You know, it, it diverts a little bit, which is great. Um, so my theory is because I, I think Reed really does care about Ella. Um, I think that there's a perfectly rational explanation for this. I think uh, Brooke was the <laughs> Brooke was the perpetrator. Um, and I think Reed found himself caught in a bad situation. And that snapshot that Ella saw is not indicative of what actually happened. And, and I hope we'll get some more clarity uh, at some point in the future. Yeah. Did you happen to read the books, Chris? I haven't. So I will say season two, it's, it's going to be different than the books. Yes. So for any fans listening, you're, you're on the right track. Yeah. I'll say that. I did know that. I wasn't sure if I yeah. was allowed to say it or not, but yes. Yeah. Um, you can say. So it's going to be a surprise. Yes. That's why it's called diversion podcast. Yes. So they divert. That's the whole thing. <laughs> um, uh, this is going to be boring because I'm going to say same, but I think as well, Brooke was the villain here, and I think that she propositioned um, Reed into doing this, and um, she was threatening in some way to retaliate or get back at Ella, um, and Reed did what he did as a way of protecting her. That's what I I think. Um, Maybe that's more of an optimistic view, but... I think he was doing something to protect her and that they weren't really, as Chris said, the snapshot didn't really show the whole picture. Um, and that's what I'm hoping for, because especially with that little phone call uh, cliffhanger you guys left at the mm-hmm. end as she's driving away, um, it made it seem that there is much, much more to the story. And maybe Reed wasn't totally um, 
being nefarious. What are your thoughts, Alyssa? I mean, I I guess I agree because realistically, like there there's some kind of redemption that happens for Reed. Like I I know realistically that there is. However, I cannot think of any situation where Reed would feel like he would need to be in that position, um, you know, to protect Ella or whatever. So realistically, I know that you know there, there probably was a good reason, but I just cannot fathom what that reason could be at this point in time. Yeah, that's true. Like, what could proposition would lead them right. would lead them to be both like, naked? Do this with me, or else what? Like, I, I, I've, 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 I've been thinking about this a lot because I've, I've been trying to think how this ties into season two. Right, but if you if you look at if you just look at what happened, like just the text, Ella walk Ella walks in, reads on his bed shirtless. Could have gotten out of the shower. Could have been changing, and Brooke is on top of him. It doesn't say that they are being you know physically yeah. intimate uh, obviously that is a physically intimate thing but it doesn't say they're they're making out so we literally yeah. don't know <laughs> like yeah they're playing cards chris well, they're not playing cards but <laughs> you know there's there's a situation where brooke walks in on on reed getting changed on his birthday she shoves him to the bed and jumps on top of him and then boom ella walks in right there yeah. i mean that is true because nobody locks doors in that house <laughs> people of the jury no that is an important distinction He's shirtless, but he's not necessarily yeah. naked. And they aren't That's true. kissing. So yeah. pay attention to the details. I'll say that. All right. I'd love to know a little bit more about how you guys prepared for your scenes. So did you guys meet Alyssa for the first time in the booth? Did you guys have any conversations before about your characters? What was that process like up until stepping into the recording booth? We didn't meet Alyssa until we were um, in the studio. And actually, I, uh, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure we walked in to the studio room as she was recording a scene um, with uh, Callum. And uh, like, we kind of looked at each other like, wow, she's really good. Um, so that was the first time we met. Um, and then she came out and we all introduced ourselves. But uh, in terms of preparing for the roles, I, I know I'll speak for myself. I, I think that mostly um, was an individual process of um, just, I read through all of the scripts. Um, they were all sent. I, all 13 of them. So it did take quite a while, but I just want, like, it was important for me to know everything that happened. And then um, we got, uh, because we had a great team and director uh, organized um, lists and schedules of what we were going to be shooting on what days and in what order. So it was easy to go back and kind of go through and examine everything um, scene by scene and make sure you had all of your intentions and um, everything mapped out before you got into the booth. And then when we were in the booth, it's kind of, you just got to let all that prep work kind of go away. So you're present and just kind of let it fly. Um, and luckily we got to do a few takes of, of each scene so you could try different things and get some feedback. So that was my personal process. We were in a very tight schedule too. I said this in the earlier episode as well, but I think you guys only had like three takes per scene which went by very quickly. You would do a very intense scene and then a very comical scene and then another intense scene. So it was a lot of switching back and forth. So it was really impressive how you guys were able to get so much done in four days and all out of order too. Chris and Nick, the audience may not know this, but you guys are actually brothers in real life. Do you think you're more similar to the brother you play or opposite? Well, it's funny because we actually talk about this. Um, I, I am the older brother. So, you know, Reed 
exhibits a lot of older brother tendencies, I think, with Easton. And so I I can definitely relate to that. Um, but I think from a like a personality standpoint, uh, Nick and I joke that it's actually kind of reversed. Nick is, in my opinion, a bit more of the brooding, you know, uh, internalized type. And I'm a bit more of the goofball um, the silly guy. So really, yeah. So I, I mean, that's my opinion, Nick. I, I don't know what you think, but, um, so when we, we got the roles, it was like, oh, this'll, I mean, yes, I'm the older brother in real life, but this'll be an interesting sort of twist for me to be, you know, the Reed Moody and Nick to be like the, the, <laughs> the funny, silly, you know, wise ass. Okay. A few things. One, yes. <laughs> Two, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use brooding as an adjective for me, but it definitely internalized. I definitely agree with Chris. I am more, um, I could be more quiet at times. Uh, and he is definitely more, uh, the goofball for sure. I think if you asked our family who would be who, if you described the traits, they, they would say I would be Reed and he would be Easton for sure. But I will say we are similar to the brothers, especially that it comes out the most. I think when Reed is fighting and you see Easton, like trying to like protect him or when, uh, Reed defends Easton against, um, uh, when Easton got into a little trouble, uh, by going to practice high and, and Reed comes to his defense to his dad, they, there is like a, a very strong love between them. It comes out in a very, uh, aggressive way at times, but there's a very strong love between them. So I think that is, uh, accurate to our relationship as well. Have you guys ever been in a, a real life love triangle like Reed and Easton? God, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, you know, I wouldn't want to hurt Nick's, you know, break his heart because ob obviously I would win that little <laughs> triangle situation. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not big into shapes. Um, <laughs> I'll stay out of the triangle. If you guys could give Ella, Reed and Easton any advice, what would it be? Stop. <laughs> well, I guess I would say I would have to give advice to Reed because I feel like the solution is so simple and it's just to be honest and, and speak and uh, be more communicative with, with uh, Ella about about his feelings because I feel like that is the root of the majority of their conflicts. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think, you know, Reed has like a lot of emotional intelligence, but he doesn't have the vocabulary to express it. Um, and so my advice to read, because he's close to my heart, of course, is uh, would be you don't have to fix everything and you can't fix everything. Uh, the, a lot of the things that happen, particularly with his mother and, and his father in the past and his brother, it happened. You can't fix it. But um, I think, you know, Reed's at this this point in his life where he's, you know, he's coming of age, he's about to turn 18, he doesn't know what his future holds, and he feels as the bigger brother with sort of an absentee father, this need to to fix everything and protect everybody. And I think that burden is having a real negative effect on him. And so if I could give him any advice, it would be go to therapy and and realize that you it is not your responsibility to carry the weight of the world on your, on your shoulders. I would, if I had to give advice, I would give it to Easton, but um, it, it's actually, it was fun to play, but also to listen back to Easton's journey. I, I think that he comes, he comes off hot. He starts hot. Like he's uh, kind of just like flam, like 
you know, flamboyant with his, uh, um, rich ways, but, um, he's kind of a jerk. Um, but I think as the show goes on, you start to see his heart shine a little bit more and he really cares for his brother and Ella. Um, and I would just say lean in on that because I think it's all comes down to insecurity and he tries to cover that at the beginning because it might not be perceived as cool or what the people at his high school um, want from him. So he gets involved with the wrong people. But um, I think when push comes to shove, you do see that he has a big heart. So I would just tell him that it's cool if you just follow that. You don't have to cover it with all this douchebag dressing. (laughs) Which is the that's all great. Yeah, that's proper all word. great advice. Um, I'm curious. I mean, you guys are a little bit older than the characters you play. You know, these are 17, 18 year olds. What was that like to step back into the shoes of a an angsty teenager? Uh, well, I'm only 23, so I still I'm going to be honest. I still feel like I'm 17. All right, so. <laughs> all right. You don't have to rub it in. <laughs> so yeah, it was easy for me. I was living. You know what's fun about it is like. I'm a little further removed from high school than everyone else on this call. But what's fun about it is like when you're younger, your emotions don't live in the margins, right? Like everything is every day is the most important day. Every outfit is the most important thing you've ever worn. Like it is everything's at a 10 all the time. That's just what being a, a, a teenager is. And as an actor, that's really fun to get to dive into that world where, you know, you're, you get to wear your emotions on your sleeve a little bit more, but I will say also, you know, reading these scripts and, and getting involved with these characters. I mean, the thought of going and living through high school right now with all of the things at people's disposal with, with social media. And I mean, it's terrifying. The thought of it is terrifying world. It's so different. Yeah. Also, like re re going back to high school, I would have to put braces (laughs) on. I was no, I didn't have a, I was driving a, a, a Toyota with a cloth top. <laughs> like this is, this is not, not my high school experience. That's for sure. I was, yeah, I was going to ask if you guys had any like Royal level, crazy high school stories or experiences. I was pretty lame in high school. I, I, I think I, I went to one party one time when my mom was in Vegas and uh, she like tracked my location and my dad showed up to the party in front of everyone and like snatched me and was like, you're coming home. And he's like French and has this thick French accent. So everyone's like, who's this foreign guy? Like <laughs> taking Alyssa away. Um, so yeah, Ella is much cooler than I was in high school. Nick and I both went to a public high school in Connecticut. Um, so very different as far as like the wealthy private school that is depicted in Royals of Malibu. Um, but I had a, I mean, I had a few parties, especially like senior year that got out of control with, uh, with some fights and, you know, police and not, I didn't do anything wrong. I was, I was strictly there as a chaperone. <laughs> Uh, but there's been some of that of course but and not to age myself too much but we when i was in high school all we had was facebook like there that was it we didn't have instagram tiktok like any of this like nobody had like really good cameras on their phones so we didn't have to worry about you know getting caught doing anything crazy like that. Yeah. There's no way to memorialize it really. Yes. Thank God. I, I was, I mean, I went to the same high school as Chris, so we didn't really have 
those uh, blowout uh, royal level parties. Though I will say, when I was in college, I was in- introduced to some like wealth that people had that I had no idea existed in this world, and um, that was pretty nuts too to see. And that was very much on the royal level, like people. They were like a group of people, and they mostly all hung out together. So I wasn't with them much, <laughs> but like were like private jets that they would take for the weekend to oh go back gosh. to like their big parties and like stuff like that. So I didn't know that that existed. Um, and like, but some of this, like when I'm listening or reading to the scripts, I'm like, oh, I think I know who these people might be, yeah. and I don't know if I want to yeah. be around them. All right, guys, let's get into some fan questions. We have so many of them. Uh, we definitely cannot answer all of them, but let's go ahead and hop in. So Kendall from Spotify asks, what was your favorite episode from the season? Um, My favorite episode, I think, I can't remember like the actual, like which episode it was, but my favorite episode and one of my favorite scenes was when um, Ella has to help Easton with like the dr- the guys that were like, you owe us money. Um, I was like really looking forward to shooting that cause it's so fun and the stakes are so high and I get to scream at Easton, which was like so fun. Um, so yeah, that was, that one, I think it was like episode 10 or 11, but it's one of my favorites. That was a fun scene. Well, I, I like, I have moments cause Emma, like you were saying, we, we shot a lot or we recorded a lot of the episodes, you know, uh, at the same time. So my favorite was, I really enjoyed the fight scenes, uh, which was a lot of fun, you know, especially to do in a booth by yourself. Um, but I really liked the moment that uh, Ella and I had on the beach where we, where Reed opened up about his mom and, and how she, uh, you know, how she got hooked on pills and what happened and everything. Cause it's one of the few moments you get to see him really open up to someone. So I really enjoyed that. The part I liked the least yeah. was Chris's fight scenes. I did not like those. Why? I'm. I'm not. I guess I'm not the. I'm not like the biggest fan of confrontation, but I didn't like seeing like you get like worked up like that. It was not. I didn't enjoy that. Like as as a brother to brother. Yeah, yeah. I just I was like, yeah. oh no, I don't like that. I don't like. Um, I will say for for me, my favorite scenes. I think, and like Chris said, it's hard with the episodes because we did them all out of order. But um, when. Easton goes to like the club with Ella and Valerie. Um, that was uh, a lot of fun to do. And then there was also one scene. It's when Easton is, I, I believe this is maybe episode 10. Easton um, was caught going to practice high. And this was one of the first ones that we shot. And then he comes back and, and Callum's like uh, kind of getting on him. And then Reed steps in. And kind of puts Callum in his in his place. And I remember recording that. Um, and the way that we were recording that is Chris happened to actually be in another booth. And then me, Alyssa, and the actor that played Callum were all in the same room. And I remember, um, like, we were all like, whoa. Like that monologue that Reed gives uh, about Callum not being there um, kind of gave me goosebumps. And I, I really liked that whole dynamic and scene and an episode came out really nicely that was a very pivotal moment from of the season 
All right, question from Katie from Spotify. Do you think voice acting is harder than acting on camera? And what's your advice for someone wanting to get into the industry? I've actually talked about this a lot, like online, because people have asked me this question a lot. Um, I would say that there are, there are some things that are a little bit more difficult with voice acting. And one of the things that I noticed right away was that like, I really have to put a lot of infliction in my voice and I have to convey the emotions that you can't see on my face or with my body language through, through my voice. So I would say that that was probably the, the biggest um, challenge that I had to, to face with, with voice acting versus um, acting on, on camera. And then advice I would say for anyone who's wanting to get into the industry because I also talk about this a lot, like all the time is that, you know, anyone at any age, you can sign up for backstage, sign up for actors access, like you don't need an agent or a manager to get started. Um, and especially now that the majority of auditions are, are remote, like when I was in high school, it was really hard to, to get self tapes, because they wanted you to, to come in. And if you weren't in LA, it was, it was really difficult. Um, and now you can do everything remotely, for the most part. So um, my biggest advice is just, you know, put yourself out there. Um, get some some headshots and, and start submitting yourself on on places like backstage and actors access. That's good advice. I would say um, the, the difference between uh, is is voice acting harder than on camera acting. Um, I think there are definitely parts of it that are more difficult because you have so many. Like Alyssa was saying, there's so many tools that are not at your disposal when you're uh, or that you can't rely on to convey emotion. You have to do it all with your voice. Although I will say and this could be completely wrong, but uh, my personal belief is that a lot of it is like a mind game in terms of you think you have to do more than you really do. And so you start to put more like you affect your voice and whatever, but like, because you're trying to compensate for what you aren't able to do on camera. And I think that it's best to just try to like, at the end of the day, you're just trying to tell the truth. So just be patient take a deep breath and just deliver the lines as you would on camera and it will come out in your voice. And I think you have to trust that that truth will come out as long as you're being truthful to the character and the situation, the scenario. And in terms of um, getting into the industry, um, if, if they're talking particularly about voice acting, I will leave that answer to Chris because he has much more experience in that. But um, my advice would be, because Alyssa already hit this well, is just, just be patient and Try to surround yourself with people that are doing it, that are trying like you are and that are supportive. There's a lot of rejection and there's a lot of heartbreak that goes along with this industry. Um, but if you can find the people and the things that are within your control that give you joy and continue to chase them and grab them and and just control them as much as you possibly can and then let everything else go, I think you'll be in a better spot. I love it. Yeah, I think, well, with regard to the first question, I, I'm a firm believer that acting is acting. Uh, it, emoting is emoting. And like Nick said, you know, if you are being true to the character and true to the text, uh, it will be captured. Now, every medium, you you have to make some technical adjustments. You know, you're, you're not going to give the same performance on stage that you would on camera and in front of a microphone. So you do have to make those adjustments. But at the end of the day, uh, it's all about, you know, the craft of acting and emoting and being vulnerable and open. 
and letting whether it's a camera or the microphone do the rest of the work. Uh, that being said, that I do think that this medium is very challenging uh, for several reasons. One, when you're shooting on camera, you know, usually you'll do two pages of a script a day, like period, like a two, a two pages is a long day. We were doing 50, 60, 70 pages a day. Uh, um, Cause we shot, I mean, I, I recorded all of my stuff in three days and that's 13 episodes. And so, you know, when you, when you show up for an on-camera job and you have two pages, like, you know, what the scene is, you know how to prepare yourself emotionally and, and to get in the right headspace for that scene. Uh, but for this, we're jumping all over the map. You're jumping time. It's non-sequential. It's, um, so, you, you know, one second, me and me and Alyssa are doing a scene in a pool where we're all lovey dovey. And then five minutes later, I'm punching a guy in a closet because he's groping her. And, and so you just have to make these vast changes. And so it's really important to, you know, have a grasp of the character so that you can take a deep breath and be like, OK, where am I now? What am I doing? Um so that's a that's a really big challenge, especially for Alyssa, who had to jump in real time from narrating her inner thoughts to being present in the actual scene. And for listeners who don't know, she did that in the moment. Like, that's not an editing trick. And that is extremely difficult to do. So I give Alyssa a lot of props and credit for being able to pull that off. That's um, so hard. I, this is the only voice uh, acting work that I, I've done so far. And so I was under the impression that in, in voiceover work, you're in the booth a lot of the times. But I guess that's not the case. And, and in this project, we were all in the booth with each other for the majority of the scenes that we had together. And, and Nick and Chris came so prepared and knew their characters inside and out that when we were in the studio, we were able to kind of we didn't have to just sit there and, and read the pages. We were able to look at each other and interact with each other. And we were like actually acting in the booth as if we were on on camera to the best of our ability. And I think that that did um, make the the relationships that we had feel so, so truthful uh, to the audience. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that that is part of the challenge, too, is is feeling comfortable with the actual equipment because, you know, you're standing in one place and you could move a little bit because the mic will pick it up. But um, whether we're doing a scene where, you know, Ella and Reed are in bed together or I'm screaming at her at a club over loud music, you're standing in the same place. So you really have to, you know, put yourself in the in the physical space mentally so that you can adjust vocally. And it's very challenging, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then to, just to answer quickly that second part of that question, what Nick and Alyssa said is, is so great. Um, you, I would get into a class, uh, whether it be a voiceover class, which they offer, uh, an acting class, a scene study class, on-camera class, whatever you want to pursue, a comedy class. But it is it is an art form and it is a skill and you have to keep working at it and sharpening it. And then keep putting yourself out there, like Alyssa said. I mean, we all have cameras on our phone. We all have microphones on our phone. Um, and Alyssa is a, an amazing example of this. You know, 10 million followers <laughs> don't lie. Like, if you put yourself out there and you put the work in, it will eventually pay off. So don't wait for somebody to ask you to do it. Do it yourself. 
Great advice all around. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. So this is one of the questions we've been asked the most. Japper from Spotify asked, did you guys actually have to kiss or was that sound effects? They were sound effects. And I feel like it, I, I actually feel like it would have been less awkward just to do the kiss because I remember being so embarrassed when they were like, all right, just make some like kissing and heavy breathing sounds into the mic. I, I was so like embarrassed. This is how I was acting. I was just like flustered. It was <laughs> what was it like uh, recording the intimate scenes? Like, would you guys laugh afterwards? Was, did it ever feel awkward? Explain a little bit more about that process. We've gotten a lot of questions about I it. I personally blacked out. Yeah, I, I would say, um, well, I got to give credit to Alyssa and, and, well, Chris and maybe a little myself, but like we were, I feel like the three of us were so prepared going into this. Alyssa said this earlier as well, that like we were able to, and, and Alyssa led the way. She was the, the captain of the ship, but like it was so professional and we had so much to do that like. We, we just did it and we yeah. moved on to the next one. Like it wasn't, I didn't feel like, and, and like Chris said that has its difficulties of like going in from an intimate scene to uh, Chris beating the living hell out of somebody um, and me sitting in the corner <laughs> scared. But um, those scenes can always be a little uncomfortable, but everyone was so professional that it made it, it made it easy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the room was so safe, you know, with our director, Matt Sav, and Ashton was in the room, one of our producers. And um, so it was a really safe space and everyone was really professional. And and again, I think it, it goes back to what we were saying. You know, if you if your focus is on the character and the story and being honest and truthful, like you very quickly get over that awkwardness uh because then it's the focus is on the reality of the situation and the emotion of the situation. And uh, it, there is some awkwardness because, you know, because Alyssa and I are, you know, five feet apart <laughs> talking into, into individual microphones, but we're supposed to make it sound like we're, you know, in bed with each other right next to each other. Um, but, you know, there was, I mean, maybe at first there was a giggle or two, but I, I think, and I think it shows in the work, I think because we were both, we all or not both all of us bought in and were emotionally invested yeah <laughs> emotionally invested i think it it rings really true also like with the sexy scenes too like there was no real like what i noticed is that there wasn't any real like tee up it wasn't like all right guys we're gonna shoot a sexy scene now it was more so like i'm already in a scene that is not like there's no like sexual aspect to it and then that's what it kind of turns into as the scene progresses and you're already in the scene so you don't really like you know there's no moment to really take a step back so kind of what, what nick was saying you just kind of plow through it and then i felt like the embarrassment came after once like the director was like oh my god that was so hot or whatever and, and my face was just so rough. um but yeah there's no real tea up you just kind of like you know, like you said like we were just like living truthfully as the characters and then that's just if, if that's how the script goes that's how it goes and you just do it what's awkward to me is, is listening to it <laughs> listening to my brother be intimate <laughs> is very uncomfortable it's harder to listen to him or you? Both. It's cringy yeah. to listen to me. Anytime my voice comes on or Chris's comes on intimate, I do the little two times <laughs> speed. So I know what's going on, but I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to marinate yeah. in it. I slow it down. No, I slow it down. and I, <laughs> I slow it down and I turn up the volume and I'm like, yeah, let's get sexy. <laughs> oh, oh, that's my gosh. weird.
Moving on, uh, Ella from Apple asks, do you think Callum is a good father? Do you think he is a good person? Ooh, loaded. I think he tries to be. I think he's, he tries to be. I think a, a lot of this story is about parenting. And, like, I would say a lot of that parenting is not very good. Um, although that's coming from somebody who's never been a parent, so I don't, I'm not sure how fair that is. But I will say... There are definitely moments that Callum is trying. But if I looked at his entire history, I would say he's not been a great father. If I look at the effect it's had on his his sons, I would say he's not been a great father. I think the question is, and I'm not sure what the answer is, like, at what point is it irreversible? Like, at what point is it too late? Is it ever too late? Can you change? And can you become a, a good father to your already grown sons and this girl that you brought in? Um, and I think that's a question for the audience and the listener. And I think everyone's going to have a different opinion. I think his heart is in the right place. I think he just doesn't know how to be a father. And I think a lot of that has to do with his selfishness. Um, I think... I think he was a very bad husband. That's for sure. Um, and I think how you treat the mother of your children influences your children quite a bit. And so in that regard, I think he failed. Um, and I also think he comes from this background of trying to throw money at problems, which is something I think that happens in a lot of affluent families and, and communities where it's like, you know, instead of, you know, when Easton gets caught, you know, showing up drunk or high to practice, his response isn't let's get Easton help. It's let me pay off the school so that he doesn't get expelled. And you're addressing the symptoms of the problem as opposed to the underlying problem. So I think he he thinks he's doing what's best for his boys and certainly for Ella. But I think he's he's very misguided and I think he's a bit selfish. I, I think this is harsh for me because I. I am an optimist, and um, but I, I think that inherently Callum is a is a good person. I think that maybe the dynamic, the family dynamic before before Maria died was very much you know that she was the caretaker of the boys and he was the provider of the family. And I think that he's been hardwired to be the provider, and so by him providing money and providing all these luxuries for his kids, that is the epitome of 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 good parenting. But he he misses the emotional aspect, and I think that maybe. Just playing devil's advocate, I, I I mean, maybe him bringing Brooke in the mix wasn't so much, you know, him just wanting a new girlfriend, uh, but maybe him trying to to find some sort of mother figure for the boys because he knew he couldn't do it himself. And then maybe that's also part of the reason he brought Ella in a, a little bit. I don't know. I'd really like to hear Armin's take on what on what he thinks at some point, because it's it's a tough question for sure. Yeah. Maybe Ella is a way to kind of redeem himself a little bit. It's kind of like a do-over shot at, at parenting, as bad as yeah. that sounds. Yeah, and he's also, you know, he's going through a loss as well. You know, he lost his wife, and, you know, whether or not he shows it, I'm that obviously is having an effect on him. Um, I mean, I don't agree with you bringing your girlfriend over and, like, making out with her at the dinner table yeah. and being all gross and weird in front of your kids. Like, that's weird. Um but <laughs> some people do it. The top gun innuendo. 
was a little cringy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. All right. Well, thank you to all the fans who wrote us questions. We're sorry we couldn't answer all of them, but be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Royals of Malibu, where we often answer your Q&As. So moving on to some games. The first game that we're going to play is called This or That. I'll give you guys two options or scenarios, and you're going to tell me which one you prefer. All right, let's start with the question Reed asked Ella on the beach in episode 10. Mountains or beach? Beach. Beach all day long. Yeah. Mountains. Wow. You're in the wrong I, show. I, haven't been, I just love the view, and I love the, the fresh air smell. Yeah, the beach stinks. And I agree with Ella. I don't like the sand. I hate sand. So I, I love guess. sand. Oh, we actually, it's funny, Alyssa, we got a few questions asking if you personally also hate sand as well. Oh, yeah, I do. I was just at the beach and my house just got cleaned two days ago and there's sand all over my house. I guess I should have like, it's my fault because I should have like hosed down my body before just stomping around the house. But like, it's hard because I go to the beach every day. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of, of sand at all. <laughs> but you still, still choose the, the beach. beach. I live with it. <laughs> Okay, watch a football game or a water polo match. Come on, I don't say neither. <laughs> wow, do they do they have water polo matches televised? <laughs> yeah, first of all, the Olympics. No, I'm talking in person. In person. Oh, okay. Football game. I'm going football, but I will say every four years when the Olympics is on and they have those water polo matches, they are fun to watch. Uh, but I'm going football. I mean, you have to be a, an insane athlete yeah. to be a water polo player. Thank you. Thank you. Cocktails at a Hollywood club or coffee at the Treasure Cafe? Coffee. I don't really drink, so that's coffee. <laughs> coffee. I'm going to go coffee. I, right. I love a good cocktail, but not at that club. Oh, yeah. That's too much. It's an intense club. Yeah. That, that's the kind of club you have to mentally prepare for for like a month. And you got to get a table. Yeah, I can do that like once every two years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. Once every four years. It's a, it's an election cycle thing for me. I get it. I get it. All right. Have Brooke or Dinah as your legal guardian? Uh, Brooke. Uh. Brooke seems a lot a lot more fun and not to be rude, but like easier to <laughs> manipulate and get stuff out of. <laughs> yeah, of course, Reed would say that. I would say Brooke, too, because of all those things. But I'm also like afraid of her sleeping with my boyfriend. So I would say Dinah. I mean, I mean, I would say Brooke too, because Dinah, Dinah like knows what she's doing. Like she knows that she's be, she's like evil with an yeah. intention. Brooke is, I think, a little. Uh, but Dinah's so upfront about it. You you know what you're getting. A little yeah, bit. you're right. Dinah would be great on a reality TV show, but I wouldn't want her as my legal guardian. <laughs> Real Housewives of Malibu. Yeah, you can have a whole section of the penthouse to yourself, though. Nick, you do love sections. <laughs> you do love sections. <laughs> I don't know why I said that? <laughs> Take care of a drunk Brooke or a drunk Easton? Easton. Just because he's funny. Definitely Easton. Yeah. Easton's funnier and like you can just sort of dump him in his room and like yeah, forget yeah. about it. Brooke, I feel like you have to be a little bit more delicate. Yeah. Yeah. And crying drunk girls is like my worst nightmare. I don't even know how to handle people crying around me like sober. So like I couldn't imagine like a whiny, like, you know, drunk Brooke. But Easton's like, he might like vomit on you or something. But I feel like that's like the price I'm willing to pay. <laughs> Fair enough. I just like that Easton always announces yeah. what he wants. <laughs> Surf in Tulum or motorcycle of the PCH? Motorcycle. I don't have the skills yeah, to do I either. I can't swim, so I don't want to go near it and surf in the ocean. Wait, you love the beach, but you can't swim and you hate sand. <laughs> why, why do you like the beach? I'm also, I'm scared of heights and bugs. And there's no heights at the beach and there's no insects at the beach, really. But there are in the mountains. So Okay, yeah. fair, fair, fair. <laughs> Sounds like you're an indoor cat. <laughs> I go outside all the time. I'm going outside right after this. 
I would say motorcycle. I have, I'm terribly unbalanced. I would not enjoy surfing. I would not be able to stand up on the board. You got to be balanced on a motorcycle. Yeah, too. if you're not balanced on a motorcycle, that's not a good sign. Yeah. I feel like surfing's As we harder. Know from Steve. Surfing's probably harder. Like if you could ride a dirt bike, like you know, I feel like anyone could ride a dirt bike, but you can't. Like not anyone can surf. I feel. I agree. Okay, with a snap of your fingers, get Reed to stop fighting, or get Easton to stop selling drugs. Ooh. I would say Easton to stop selling drugs because that will lead to more of the fighting. So I think that will that will. Hopefully, my my hope is that it would take care of both. Also, that's illegal and fighting sometimes isn't as illegal, is it? I don't know. I got to read the book. I got to read the rule book. I would say Easton, uh, stop selling drugs because, I, I mean, obviously fighting is dangerous, but that's much more dangerous, especially as we saw. You get you get in bed with the wrong people. Uh, you owe money. Um, also, Reed got in bed with the wrong people, literally. <laughs> you don't know what happened. All right. Good one. <laughs> It was my birthday. Exactly. It was your 18th birthday. She knew what she was doing. Perfect timing. As gross as it was. Last question. Inherit $100 million yes. or win an Oscar? <laughs> Inherit $100 million, <laughs> baby. You could buy yourself a role and win an Oscar. Yeah. Win an Oscar. Earned. I want to earn it. I feel like if you win an Oscar, you're on your way to making $100 million. But also, if you have $100 million, you could produce some pretty stellar movies and put yourself in them. Thus... Putting your position to maybe win an Oscar. And you can still work hard. If you're the producer or the writer or something and you're like just funding it yourself, you can still earn an Oscar, I feel. Fair. Yeah, but also if I inherited something, I mean, one of my parents had to pass away. I don't want but that. What if they were already dead? Like <gasps> in Ella's case. Or like a distant cousin just decided to give it to you. She makes a good point. She doesn't like sand, but she <laughs> makes good points. Okay, guys, let's step into the shoes of your characters. I'm going to give you guys a scenario, and you tell me what you think your character would do in that scenario. What would your character do if they could only take three things to a deserted island? Wow. I think Ella would for sure take... I'm trying to think of like what possessions she has, um, but like uh, her picture of her mom, her letter from her mom... And that's all, that's all, uh, that's all I can think of. <laughs> to a deserted island. Reed would bring, like, a knife or some sort of weapon. But he has his fist. <laughs> yeah, he does, that's true. He could take down a wild boar with his fist. Um, I think he would bring his car. <laughs> and I think he, and I think he would bring Ella. Not that she's Aww. a possession. But... Aww, that's so cute. That's sweet. I think Easton would bring the party. <laughs> I think Easton would bring drugs. <laughs> I think he would bring Reed. I do think he would bring his brother. And I was thinking maybe Savannah. I think he likes her a lot. But that would be weird with Reed there. (laughs) Maybe a box of cereal. (laughs) Box of cereal? Single box. What kind of cereal? I think he's a Lucky Charms guy. I could see it. Okay, what would your character do if they were kidnapped? I think Ella would fight back. I think Ella would be able to outsmart a kidnapper and just like fuck him up and run away. She'd find her way out of it. Easton would, would talk a big game, make some threats, and then slowly be, start to beg to let him go. <laughs> and then hope that Ella's around to, to save him. That's so true. I, I think Reed would be extremely stoic and not give an inch. Like, he would just take a beating if he had to. Also, I went to school. Here's a side story. I went to school with a kid uh, in college who was very, very, very wealthy. And he had allegedly kidnapping insurance and like 
this might have been made up, but he like if he were to ever get kidnapped and held for ransom, there was like an insurance policy and like a security team that would jump into action because uh, his dad like worked worked for like an oil company in in foreign countries because uh, his dad was Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> something tells me Callum would have something like that. So Reed would just patiently wait. Yeah, for sure. Whoa. What would your character do if they found out they could stop time? I think Ella would spend some more time with her mom. If she could, if she was able to stop time. Yeah. Is it, sorry, just point of, point of clarification. Is it stop time or like, can you go back? They could go back in like slow-mo time, spend more time at a certain time. If I could turn back time. <laughs> Nick. Okay. Either one, either one. We'll go with that. <laughs> If I could go back in time, I honestly think the answer for Easton would be the same. I think he, I think he really misses his mom. Try to, cause, and I think that that was a domino that led to him selling drugs. So I think he, he would try to get his mom the help she needed. Yeah. And if he could stop time at like any point, I think he would stop it right before Reed started fighting and get in between them. Mine are similar. I think uh, Reed would, if he could go back in time, he would go back to try and get his mom the help she needed and be, you know, try to fix it again, going back to that answer earlier, he's a fixer. Um, and then if he could pause time, he would pause right when Ella walked in and, and explain exactly what happened in a calm, emotion free, like way to explain himself and this very unfortunate situation he's found himself in. I wish that were the truth. Son of a gun. We'll find out season two. <gasps> okay, last question. We'll end with a fun one. What would your character do if they were swimming and lost their bathing suit? Get up and be like, hey, everybody, look. <laughs> <laughs> look at this. Look what I could do. Me, personally, I would dive under the water and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you do? Reed would, like, like do the same thing, but be really, like, modest and, and broody about it. Like, he would come out of the water and be like, damn it. My, my bathing suit left me just like everyone else, but this is who I am now. And then like show his rock and bod off to everybody. I don't know. Cause I know like as a woman, there's, there's like just not enough hands to cover everything. So you cannot like just effectively get out of the water without yeah. like, you know, like being exposed. I feel like, I mean, if Ella was with someone, she'd obviously be like, yo, can you like help me? But I think that if she had no choice but to just get out of the water, she would just do it with confidence as if she did not mean to lose her bathing suits. Woo! Woo! All right, guys, unfortunately, we are running out of time, no. but I want to thank you all so much for your incredible work this season. Where can fans follow you? Alyssa McKay, everywhere. Yeah, I'm at C. Cafaro across the board. I'm at N. Cafaro across the board copycat amazing well i will see you guys in the studio for season two very soon Woo! i can't wait diversion audio